0: is a message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. So we are going to be continuing our psalm series today. Um, Since I just moved into my house, I realized I didn't have a printer that was functioning, so I'm actually going to be preaching from a pink iPad. So I just want everyone to see this uh, in case you... Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I just wanted you to be encouraged that I'm uh, man enough to preach from a pink iPad this morning. Uh, so we are gonna be looking at Psalm chapter six. Um, so I'm gonna draw your attention to the word of God here. <clears throat> Psalm six, o Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, "'nor discipline me in your wrath. "'Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. "'Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. "'My soul is greatly troubled.'" But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death, there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night, I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping the lord has heard my plea the lord accepts my prayer all my enemies shall be ashamed and they shall and greatly troubled they shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment let me pray for us father would you enable us to hear from your word this morning thank you for giving it to us we pray that this would be a profitable time where we would hear your words would your word go forth in power When my words fall to the ground, Would we hear from you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we are continuing the series in the Psalms uh, this summer. Um, And really, this is such a a helpful time for us to consider these things, uh, for us to have expressions for how we feel that are godly. Um, I'm not sure about you, but I grew up in a time where I was told that Emotions were, were not super helpful uh, in a place where that was the case uh, and in a family where uh, I, I was told to, to kind of like bottle everything up and then to let it come out at other times. And this really is a song for this year, for 2020. Um, it is insane how things have changed. This is a global pandemic that we are in the middle of. And it's resurfaced with a vengeance this week. As you guys know, um, in Texas, uh, well, in San Antonio yesterday, we got a text message that said in bold letters, well, in in uppercase, stay home. I'm not sure how many of you were fearful when you got that, but I definitely was. Um, And if you went outside at all yesterday and spent any time, you probably were like me and you had a ton of dust come into your throat because of the Saharan dust cloud that decided to come over Our city yesterday. I went on a hike at the um, Friedrich Wilderness Park and came back, and I had dust like all over my face, around my eyes, inside my throat. Uh, So it has been a crazy time. This is a crazy time for us to move as well, for us to come here, particularly whenever I look out and I kind of recognize your faces, but I can't see the lower half of your faces. Uh, And I'm sure there are many of you joining us right now who I can't even see your faces. And so <clears throat> we might think of remembering this time as a really anxious time, as a really frustrating time, because things aren't working the way we want to. What I want us to consider is that this is a time where we can grieve. This is actually a really good year, and we're only halfway through it, believe it or not. But it, it may be a really good year for us to grieve things well. Um, This is not something that is familiar for many of us. We don't like sadness. We don't like grief. um, But it is actually something that the Lord gave to us as people who have fallen from our created uh, intent. Counselor John Cox uses this great uh, illustration when he talks about the fall of man. He says, when sin entered the world, and this is in Genesis 3, when sin enters the world, there was this great breaking of the intended beautiful purpose of God's world. Things were broken, things were shattered. It was not the way that things were supposed to be. And so there was there, there was this remembrance of how things were. And so Cox says this, and it's printed at the beginning of your bulletin. God provided humanity with the gift of sadness because it's the only thing that could adequately deal with the brokenness of this world. It's the only thing that could deal with the brokenness of this world. So grief and the experience of mourning is really necessary for us to deal with. It's necessary for us to have. And so many times as I recount my own life, I excuse or replace the feelings of sadness for something else. I think sadness should be temporary. I say to myself, I shouldn't be sad for too long. We lived in Orlando, Florida for six years. We have Disney so close. We had neighbors who would freely take us to Disney. We had the beach nearby. It was warm. And, and there was kind of this saying or kind of this feeling among a lot of people there is, you shouldn't be sad because things are really good here. You shouldn't, you shouldn't ever be sad or grieve because life is just peachy. That would maybe be more like a Georgia saying, but you, you get what I'm saying here is that sadness, we can always make excuses for not being sad and not grieving well. I want us to, in Psalm 6, really see that you have this great king in King David. I know if if you've been around here for a little while, you guys studied King David in the spring. And he is expressing some incredible grief in this passage. So sadness is looking around the corner and we ought to actually lean into it and be sad ourselves. So we have three points here. An experience of grief, our example of grief, and our expiration for grief. So first, an experience of grief. Again, sadness is a typical part of our world. It is necessary, as John Cox had told us. And Psalm 6 gives us some good bones to the flesh of sadness now, Psalm 6 is an individual lament. This is a sad thing that David is expressing that he, he experienced himself. David experienced this time where he was flooding his bed with tears, as it says in this passage. And the congregation, all of the people of God are coming and they are singing the song together. One man and all of God's people singing with him. And so this is an important category because it shows that we as God's people, even if we don't experience the sadness ourselves, are invited into the presence with others to grieve and to hurt with him. Verse one begins kind of unusually. It says, "O oh Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. And it may sound a little strange that David begins this sad Psalm this way, but the pastor James Boyce gives us an incredible picture into this from his pastoral experience. He says that he says many of the time people will come to him and they will be in these out of control kind of situations and be frustrated with why God is punishing them. For example, my parents are divorcing, he would hear, what did I do to deserve your wrath, O oh God? Or if your spouse left you or The job that you love ended or you were furloughed uh, or friendships vanish or one way or another, you feel punished by God. It's his way of expressing sadness to an extent. And so I'm not sure if you've experienced this, but Christians can often be difficult people to express sadness with. We get a lot of, it's going to be okay. You really shouldn't be that sad. And really the end of the story is amazing. So why be sad in this moment? And we, we hear these words from King David, knowing that his life was pretty amazing in many ways, um, th- but that he also was this very, very strong and mighty king. It says uh, in, in 1 Samuel that he slayed 10,000 of men. He was a tough guy. And so it's difficult maybe for us to see him as weak and wounded and being overwhelmed with sadness. Psalm 6 gives us this great and full picture of sadness. Uh, reading from verse 6, it says, I am weary with my moaning. That's not really a word that you hear when we think of a tough guy, a tough woman even, anyone I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of foes. It grows weak because of my foes. David's sadness is overwhelming. His sadness lingers beyond what he even desires for it to. His weariness and moaning endures and it continues. Every night he says, I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. His sadness is a big deal. And I hope that if you are facing sadness right now, or we, we, and, and in the Psalm, he's probably recalling, recounting a sad event in his life, a sad time, that you can look back on those things and you can see the legitimacy of your own sadness and your own grief. And friends, even as I said that Sometimes Christians can often be difficult people to walk through sadness with. We as the church can be an enormous gift to one another. Believers in Jesus and the God who is there can hear our stories, can hear the stories of the the mourners, the moaners, the groaners, and we can sit with one another with the hope that we have in this God who we know is present with us. David is giving us an incredible experience of what it is like uh, to to face these things. He is near to us and our experience of sadness really matters. Um, If you have kids, you've probably heard of the movie Inside Out. It's excellent, by the way. Even if you are beyond having kids, uh, you should watch it at some point. It's a story all about emotions. And Inside Out, the primary character's name is Joy. And at the beginning of the movie, Riley is the little girl who's the main character. And she is living this amazing life. She is from Minnesota. She is a hockey star. She is totally happy and totally content. But soon we find out that there are other emotions that are part of her life, that are inside of her. And although Joy seems to be the only thing that she needs to express, there are circumstances that that lead to her needing to express other emotions. And so this picture of sadness in this film is like the 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 thing that you don't ever want to deal with. You don't ever want to have uh, this feeling of sadness. In, in fact, sadness is talking to Joy, and she says this. She says, remember the funny story about the dog dying? You know, because that's not funny at all. Like the, those, are, the, those are the saddest, those are like the weeping while you're in the movie theater kind of movies that we, we don't want to, to be a part of. So joy appears as the only emotion necessary for Riley until her family relocates from this pristine place in, Minneapolis, or in Minnesota to San Francisco. And all of Riley's friends are gone and life is different and hockey isn't there. This idea of Riley being joyful just seems to be contrived. Life is really hard. And there's this amazing line in, in where Riley is speaking to her mom and she says, I know you don't want me to, but I miss home. I miss Minnesota. You need me to be happy, but I want my old friends and my hockey team. I wanna go home. Please don't be mad. This is part of a story where, where Riley really experiences sadness, is able to express it to her mom. And it's a great help to us as we look biblically at this. Because oftentimes, again, we try to bottle up and try to dismiss our own sadness. But we're given an example of why this really matters, why it matters that that we ought to be sad with one another. I want you to think about this personally. I want you to consider the way that you are sad, or maybe that you lack sadness yourself. It's something that we study today because it's something that is all around us. The experience of sadness is all around us. People who are locked up, uh, people who are experiencing their their mother or their father or grandfather or grandmother uh, being sick because of the coronavirus and having to watch them through A window. And in this, we as God's people can weep with one another. We can grieve with one another with hope. It says so in in Romans chapter 14 rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We have the ability to have the entire range of emotions with one another, to experience joy, to experience weeping. We must take hold of that and recognize that it is a good thing. It's something that we we need to do because the world is both beautiful and broken. That's not the way it is supposed to be. And for us in this time right now in 2020, we're feeling that. We're recognizing it. We need to lean into the experience of God's people struggling, our own hearts struggling. Second, I want us to talk about the example of grief. The example of grief. I want us to flip uh, up to uh, John chapter 11 uh, and we're gonna see Jesus experiencing grief. We read it earlier um, and there's only one verse that we're gonna look at. John chapter 11, verse 35. It is the shortest verse in the entire Bible. Before, Before we look at that, Jesus is a Jewish man. He was a Jewish man who would have sung these Psalms continually. And so there is this experience of sadness and grief that was part of his culture that he understood. He understood corporate sadness and grieving together for one person's sadness. John chapter 11, we had it read here earlier, is this passage where Jesus recognizes that, well, he he comes to, Uh, grieve with Lazarus's family. As Lazarus has died, he has been dead for three days. And of course, what, what many of us remember is that he raised him from the dead. And that happens a little bit later. But as he enters into the presence of seeing Lazarus in this tomb, of seeing the mourners around him, of seeing his friend dead, we get these words, Jesus wept. And I think we can easily zoom through that. And and again, go forward to the fact that he raised Lazarus from the dead. But remember this, friends, that soon after, Jesus went to the cross himself. Jesus was denied by Peter. Jesus died and was raised again. Jesus wept because he saw the 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 sadness all around him. I love what scholar Frederick Dale Bruner says that these words ought to be that Jesus wept ought to be translated in our modern time Jesus ugly cried or Jesus bawled his eyes out. Jesus is doing something similar to what we see with King David. That he is overcome with sadness. And we see it in in, in the following verses. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man also kept this man from dying? There is this picture of a man who loves his people. Again, Jesus' ugly cried or Jesus bawled his eyes out. Bruner continues for the naysayers. He says, Jesus isn't acting as though he is human. He is human like you and I Jesus is our example for dealing with grief, for grieving with one another. He is like the psalmist who sees this terrible condition and cannot contain his tears and just floods his life with weeping. I want us to dig, sorry, Jesus is our example um, when we grieve that it may look ugly at times. It may even look ugly to other people. Jesus is our example. And we're encouraged to face the awkward realities of sadness. One of the things that we repeat over and over and over in RUF is that it's okay to not be okay. Uh, It's something that I I saw pop up yesterday. uh, And and it's a phrase that's being used, you know, for pop psychology and whatnot, uh, that it's okay for you not to be okay. But often that's where, that hope ends, is that it's okay to experience sadness yourself. But friends, we as God's people have this amazing ability to experience sadness, but also have great hope. Because we know the one whose example we follow. And his example was was one that went forward. He went forward and he died on our behalf to give us redemption in this world. <clears throat> there, there's an um, American adage, you could say, that there's always something good to find in something that's bad. There's a silver lining, right? Find the silver lining in, in bad things. Make it positive. I'm not sure how many of you watched, but there's this documentary called The Last Dance that was on ESPN that featured the 1998, 97, uh, Chicago Bulls team. And it's this 10-part documentary that really is focused on Michael Jordan himself. Um, Michael Jordan, one of the greatest, um, some would say the greatest basketball player of all time. Uh, and he's such an interesting guy. And in 1993, a month after his third straight NBA championship, Jordan's father was murdered. It was an awful deal. Um, murdered on like in his car as well. It was, it, was, it was terrible. It was an awful death. And really the country kind of mourned and came around uh, Michael Jordan. But for his family and for the nation, Jordan actually felt like he needed to be strong. Um, to be strong in the midst of the sadness that was experienced around him. One could walk away um, and understanding that there's really, there's really no need to be sad, to look at his example, to look at Michael Jordan, or to recall from a league of their own that there's no crying in baseball. There's no need to be sad when things don't go our way. But friends, we have a better example than that. We have a better example than one who just puts on a face. If you continued with that documentary, you found out that Michael Jordan actually had many people around him that came around. That came beside him, that who he would call at two o'clock in the morning to confess his grief and his sadness to help walk with him. Rather than having these people, rather than putting on this face, we actually have an opportunity to experience our sadness and to do so with our Lord, who has done so Himself, who has experienced great sadness and was not ashamed to do so. So we have talked about the creation and the fall and the redemption that Jesus gives us. The end of the story, though, is so vital because Jesus is coming back to take us from the sinful world. He's coming back to eliminate or to expire our sadness. And so that is the third point here, that the there is an expiration of sadness. Psalm 6 is a great balm for a troubled heart. The psalmist Here, David is likely, again, recounting a past moment. He recognizes the goodness that was to come. And in verses nine through 10, he he really looks ahead uh, to what will happen. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Psalm six doesn't explicitly say this, because it's not the end of the story, but there is an end to grief and sadness. There is great hope in the midst of suffering. And in many ways, Jesus is our best example here. The resurrection is this beautiful event of Jesus going forward, of being nailed to the cross. And then on, in three days, on the third day being raised from the dead, he is, he, he is essentially mocking those who have brought him to, uh, his death. He rises from the grave and he conquers death itself. But the fact is that we still experience sadness and we still need to grieve. Even though we know the full story, even though we know that Christ has been raised from the dead and that he is coming back for us. So we grieve as those who have hope. We grieve as those who, who, have the, um, who, who, who know what is to come. And we can hope in those things. And so we need to remember and we need to have this etched in our heart, the the words from Revelation chapter 21, as we experience sadness to know that this moment will expire. Let me read verses one through four. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God Let's look at verse four a little bit closer. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's an expiration date towards to, uh, of sadness, but Jesus is personally gonna do that. Wiping away with, with, with his own hand, the tears from our eyes and death shall be no more. We don't have to deal with death anymore when Christ comes again. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain anymore. This new place that we are bound for, this new Jerusalem is one where we can we, we will have the former things have, having been passed, and we don't have to deal with sadness and grief. And that, friends, and this may sound really weird, but that actually gives us an opportunity to grieve more. We can now grieve knowing that that, that, that grief will be taken away, that those tears that we cry will be wiped away from our eyes. We can come into our Lord's presence and be sad and grieve because we know the beautiful hope that awaits us in Christ. We need to be comforted and we need to comfort one another that Jesus was sad himself. We need to see and hear that the story is not over, that Jesus ultimately will expire this sadness himself. I hope this is hopeful for you today uh, as we come into his presence. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us your son. Thank you for allowing him to be such a beautiful example for us of what it is to grieve. We pray that you would uh, encourage us now as we go into the Lord's Supper, as we, um, as, as we are together Um. We pray, Father, that, that these words would be helpful for our hearts uh, even now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.